0: Let's open the Word of God this morning to the book of Romans. We've been making our way through Romans. If you're new with us today, what we practice here is called expository preaching. That means most weeks we're working through a passage, verse by verse, passage by passage, through a book of the Bible. Sometimes we stop and do special messages. Sometimes we address special issues. Sometimes we look at different doctrines. But for the most part, our our meat and potatoes is the verse-by-verse expository preaching of the Word. And this is key because it feeds us directly the way that God wrote these books of the Bible. He inspired every word, every verse to be in this order. And so as we work through it, we get to see what God wants us to see. Not what we think we should do and talk about. It's what God wanted the original believers that read this to see. And what now today he wants us to see is the same doctrine. It's the same practice. It's the same Christ that they worshiped. And so we want to look, as we've been doing, at Paul's prayer here in Romans. And I just want to read to you the whole paragraph. We're looking at Romans 1, 8 through 15. And we're looking here at how Paul is telling the Romans that he's been praying and praying that he could come and see them. He says here in verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. That you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us by the other's faith. Both yours and mine. I do not want you. He says I do not want you. Talking to the Roman Christians. To be unaware brethren. That often I have planned to come to you. And have been prevented so far. So that I may obtain some fruit among you also even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Proclaiming the gospel is the mission of the church. It is the light in a dying and dark world. It is the ultimate answer to man's problem, which is sin. It is what the church needs to hear every Sunday, all the time, every day in our life. It's the best news story of all of history, the gospel. It's not just a catchphrase, a word that we like to use in our Christian ease. It's biblical, and it's what God has given us to not only save us through the gospel, but also to tell others about. It's the encouragement that we need every day for every trial, for every tribulation. As we look, To Christ and who He is and what He's done for us. We see the good news. We're encouraged to wake up today. To come gather together. To worship together our Lord and our Savior. You could say, as many theologians have, that the gospel found in the scriptures alone, the gospel of Christ alone, is the foundation upon which all other doctrines rest. It does no good to talk about end times or our views on all the different things in theology, unless we have that foundation of the gospel right. You will find many people in the world today that will talk for hours and hours about certain theological thoughts, ideas, opinions, preferences, all of these things. What matters is that we have the gospel right. Then from that point, we can study the scriptures as a believer with the spirit and seek to understand more and more. In Jesus' public ministry, he said, I came to preach the gospel. He hadn't even died on the cross yet and been raised again, which is going to be the proclamation of the gospel. And he said, I came to give good news, good news about the coming kingdom, good news about how people can be forgiven of their sin. And so he went about preaching it everywhere he went. In the synagogues, he preached the gospel. To the pagans that he met, he preached the gospel. Every place he went. Then he told the apostles, take the gospel out. Take it out. Plant churches. Take it to the whole world. Baptize these believers. And then train them up in the gospel. and all the things that Christ said. The apostles then took that out. They planted churches. They proclaimed the gospel. People were saved. They built up the churches in the gospel. And you know what the apostles told the Christians to do in those churches? Keep on proclaiming the gospel. Keep on focusing on the gospel. They even deal with all the false teaching regarding those issues in Scripture. They deal with how to talk to these false teachers, how to rebuke rebuke these false teachers. And they they also focus over and over on getting back to the truth, to the gospel. Don't get distracted from the gospel. And you see this in Paul's ministry. If you read all of his letters, you see this over and over in his ministry. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted from the gospel. I'm sure Paul had various dietary preferences. I'm sure Paul had favorite parts of the world he liked to see. I'm sure he had a favorite people that he liked to have dinner with. But you won't see any of that in his letters. Not because he wasn't human, but because you see where his focus is when he writes these letters to the churches. He cares for them. He cares mostly for their spiritual health. Now, sometimes he will mention, like Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. But that's so Timothy can keep on preaching the gospel And ministering to the church in Ephesus. Paul is focused on their spiritual health. And he knows. He knows that that Satan wants nothing more. Than to distract the church from the mission. And you see these distractions everywhere. In our world today. You talk about social justice. Woke theology. uh, Digging wells instead of preaching the gospel. In Africa. And you see such an emphasis on doing good. Which we should care about as Christians. But where's the gospel? That's the important question. Where's the gospel in churches today? And so you're going to hear the word gospel a lot in today's sermon. Hopefully you hear it a lot in our church all the time. Paul knew what his mission was. He knew it. Colossians 1.28 We proclaim him. But it doesn't stop there. The gospel still is admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For Paul, for every pastor, for every elder, it is faithfully proclaiming the truth of God's word over and over and over so that we're all built up and complete in Christ. That's what Paul wants for the Romans. And so he's been praying this prayer and he finally comes to the end of it here in these passages we're looking at today. But he's been praying to God for them, that he could go and see them. And he has various things he said in this prayer. We've already looked at part one of the prayer in verse eight. He gives thanks for the body. He says, I give thanks for you. Now they're going to have problems. He's going to address some of them. They don't have major problems like Galatia. But they do have issues that he addresses. He doesn't start the letter with that. He just said, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for you all. And then part two, we looked at intercession and petition. This is where he interceded for them and he petitioned God that he might come and see them. And then last week in verses 11 and 12, we look to part three here of praying for the church and he's talking about his desire to come and strengthen them and to encourage them and everybody be encouraged together. He says even Paul himself will be encouraged as he's among them, as he's edifying them, as he's strengthening them. That's so far what we've looked at in his prayer. Today, I want to focus on these last few verses, 13 through 15. And this is praying for the church, part four, proclaiming the gospel. This is part of Paul's prayer. He he said, here's how I've been praying. And now he's talking about what he's been praying and why he's been praying it. And we can learn a lot from the prayers in the Bible. Always remember, if you want to know how to pray, go to the Bible and see how it is modeled for you life of Jesus, the life of Paul. Paul puts a prayer in almost every one of his letters at the beginning. They teach us, the Bible itself, through the writers of Scripture, teach us how to pray. So let's look today at proclaiming the gospel. In Paul's explanation of of why he prays to come to Rome, he's, he's basically giving us three ways to pray for our church in regards to proclaiming the gospel. Three ways to pray for our church here Regarding the gospel. First of all. Verse 13. Pray for the church. To have more workers for the harvest. That's the lesson we can learn from verse 13. Pray for the church to have more workers. For the harvest. He says. I do not want you to be unaware brethren. That I have often planned to come to you. But have been prevented he says. He wants to obtain fruit among them. Fruit among them. He he is a harvester. He is a farmer. He wants to go out and obtain the fruit that's already there that God has put there. And any gospel church should have a desire to train up, to find, to bring in more workers for the harvest. And that includes all of us when it comes to harvesting. So Paul begins this little section here, 13 through 15, By just addressing the question. Before he gets to the part about the fruit and the harvest. He's saying. Look I want you to know why I couldn't come. Because you can imagine in their mind. They're saying. You know how is this guy Paul. Not come to see the church. In the most important city in the world. The Romans. The Romans have this great wonderful city. It's the capital of the empire. And there's a church there. And we're being built up. But the apostle to the Gentiles. Has not come to see us. Where have you been, Paul? What's going on? What is holding you up? And he says, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be confused about what's happened. I I have planned to come to you. I have planned to be there. I have planned to come. The wording in the Greek here means he's planned beforehand. For a long time is the idea. He's wanted to come sooner. But he says, I've been prevented so far. I've been prevented so far. He'd been kept from going, is the idea. Not because he didn't want to see them. He desired to be there. He desired to go see them and then go on to Spain. Not because he was lazy. He wasn't sitting around watching TV. He wasn't sitting around and all reading the daily Jerusalem newspaper. He had ministry to do. He's not neglecting his ministry by not being in Rome. He had other ministry that God had placed him there to do. And God had not allowed him to go there yet. He will eventually get to Rome, but he is praying that God would open doors so that he could go there. He doesn't realize he's going to be taken on a prisoner ship to Rome as a prisoner himself, but he is just praying, Lord, take me to Rome. And I, I want you to know, he's telling them, I've been prevented from coming there. God has not allowed it. Paul had been praying. And we often pray ourselves and wonder, is God going to answer our prayers? Well, here's the Apostle Paul, one of the most holy Christian men who's ever lived. He prayed all the time to go there and his prayer hadn't been answered yet. Sometimes when we pray, we wonder, what is going on, God? Why haven't you answered my prayer? It seems biblical. It seems right. You haven't answered it yet. Well, because it's God's timeline, not ours. It's God's providence. That's that's what Paul is bringing up here. I've been prevented so far. Something or someone is the idea has prevented him from coming there. Now he's been busy with ministry. Look at chapter 15 verse 18. God didn't show up in a dream and say you shall not go to Rome. He didn't send him a vision. He didn't send him a voice. He just put Paul somewhere else to be busy for a time and later God will move him on to Rome. Look at chapter 15 and verse 18. He's talking about coming to Rome. As he's closing the letter here. And he says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except Christ. Except what Christ has accomplished through me. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles. So that's his goal. To go to preach. To see the obedience of the Gentiles by believing in Christ. And continue to grow in Christ by word and deed. And the power of signs and wonders. Talking about how he's done signs and wonders. Because he had these miraculous gifts. And the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He started in Jerusalem. He went north to Antioch. He went further north to Asia Minor. He crossed over and went into Greece, Macedonia, and even to the barbarians in Illyricum. He was proclaiming and preaching the gospel, planting churches. God, why don't you give us our answer to prayer? Because God wants us somewhere else right now. He hindered the greatest apostle from going to Rome. Why? Because God had a different plan. It wasn't that Paul was doing anything sinful. Paul had a right godly desire. But in God's providence, it doesn't always work out like we want it to. God's providence is this doctrine that means through God's sovereign control of all things that happen. That he has made it so that his plan, his decree comes to pass. Can you imagine if God was taking ideas from us on how to run the world? I mean, where would it be? You can just see sometimes when God removes his hand, what happens in the world. When God's not letting us basically go under judgment when he removes his hand. He's still in control of all things even through that. But you can see how we really mess up things. Even as Christians, God is in control. It was God's plan. He was on God's timetable. Paul wanted to go, but he was not able. He had a good and godly desire, but it was in the Lord's plan for him not to go yet. John Calvin says that the Lord, about this verse, John Calvin says, the Lord frequently upsets the purposes of his saints in order to humble them and by such humiliation to teach them to regard his providence that they may rely on it. Why, Lord? Why don't you do the thing that it seems good and right to do? Because it's not his timeline. He will do it if he wants to do it. And he is good all the time, even when we wonder what's going on. Go over to James chapter 4. James 4 corrects. He he rebukes people who think they can control their life and everything in it. James has something to say. James 4.13. Because sometimes as Christians, we still fall into this trap of thinking everything's going to happen on our timeline. We're in control of all things. And God will send us a reminder. If you believe that enough and you practice that in your life, James says, "That's pride, and God will send you a reminder." Look, he says in James 4:13, "Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. You're just a vapor. That appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James is saying, look, don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow. Don't boast about what you see coming and what you see happening. He's not saying don't make plans. He's not saying don't pray and ask God for things in the, uh, about future events and future things in your life. He's just saying don't boast. Don't be prideful that you know with absolute certainty what's going to happen. He says, you're like a vapor. we're just here for a little while and then we're gone. Instead, verse 15, this is how we are to think about it. This is how obviously Paul thought about it. You ought to say, if the Lord wills. We often say Lord willing. Well, this is why. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Sometimes things just come at us out of nowhere. Where did that come from? Well, God knows. It wasn't a surprise to him. It wasn't a surprise to him. Lord, if you will it. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in the garden? Your will be done. If the Lord wills, we will even live. I mean, it's up to him if we even breathe air when we got up this morning. It's God who is in control of all things. And we'll do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Paul's not boasting. He says, look, I wanted to be there. I desired to be there. I just couldn't. God hasn't opened that door yet. Another 1800s uh, commentator, Charles Hodge, says that Paul did not direct his own steps. As far as he was concerned, he was willing to preach in Rome, but whether he should do so or not, rested not with him, but with God. Sometimes we're praying for more workers of the harvest. And there's always this desire to have more workers in the harvest. And God hasn't just hasn't provided them yet he hasn't provided them yet for many of you praying for a biblical church in this area more and more biblical churches in the area in the greater san antonio area and god does provide them over time but it's not always on our timeline look at his reason for doing this for saying this he's saying i prevented so far i wanted to come i'm really had planned to come so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. This was his purpose. He wants to come visit. He'd been proclaiming the gospel throughout much of the empire, but inside the churches, he would go and proclaim the gospel. Outside the churches to unbelievers, he would proclaim the gospel. Inside the synagogues, but his main focus is getting to Rome eventually and then all the way to Spain. Paul's making plans about the future, but he's not boasting. He's not saying he knows what's going to happen. He doesn't know. Only God knows. But his desire is right. He wants to go there to see fruit. Now, we've already seen in in Paul's introduction so far that he wants his preaching to have a twofold purpose. What is this idea of preaching the gospel? Well, first of all, he wants to see new converts. That's obvious whenever the gospel goes out when it's preached. He wants to see new converts. I I see that happening both within the church as people would come and visit the Roman church. And we see that today in churches that preach the gospel. But also, Paul was known to go outside the church, to preach in marketplaces, to proclaim the gospel in people's homes. He wanted to see new converts, to produce fruit from his ministry. Every preacher, every pastor wants to see fruit from his ministry. He wants to see new fruit new believers come to know Christ. Also though, when he talks about preaching the gospel, he has an emphasis especially in Romans on building up and edifying believers. We've already seen this over and over. He wants to see the Roman church built up. He's not been there, so when he gets there he wants to see them built up. How? Not by having, you know, this tiny little Bible study on one or two words in the Bible. No, he's going to proclaim the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, in Romans, often this word gospel is used for all the teaching that Paul is going to give them. All that teaching. It's not that they're going to be specialists just in election or just in total depravity. No, he says it all matters. And I want you to be built up and edified in the gospel. The old commentator Matthew Henry says about this. He says the edification would be to Paul's advantage. It would be fruit abounding to a good account. Paul minded his work. As one that believed, the more good he did, the greater would his reward be. He wants to come there and see them grow. The Sunday morning service, for example, it's not an evangelistic event. It's not a Billy Graham crusade. It's a time to see believers built up. Now, as people come in, as they visit, as they're unbelievers, and they hear the gospel, Amen, thank you, Lord, save them, please. But what's the purpose of us meeting here together? To proclaim the gospel so that believers would be built up. And that's what Paul wants to go and do. Eventually, he'll get to Rome. And in Acts 28, verse 31, it says he stayed two full years in his own rented quarter. So he was under house arrest. Then he stays in his own place. He has to pay the rent, of course. That's interesting, right? They arrest him, make him stay at home. But he's got to pay the rent. And then... It says in Acts 28, 31, uh, that he was welcoming all who came to him. So here's his evangelistic strategy when he's under house arrest. People were coming to visit him. He's preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. The soldiers did not keep people from coming in. His house arrest did not keep people from coming in. And you know, a lot of believers went in to see him. And he's preaching the gospel to them. And a lot of Jews came in to see him. And he's preaching the, the gospel to unbelieving Jews. And I'm sure some of those believers brought their friend along. You've got to meet the Apostle Paul. He's under house arrest. Don't worry, we can get in. You've got to hear what he has to say. We need to pray for more harvesters in the church that have a desire like Paul to go out and produce fruit. We need more men and women from Grace Bible Church who who desire to proclaim the gospel. We need more missionaries, not just that we can support, but praise the Lord that we could actually see come out of this church and want to take the gospel somewhere. Pray for more leaders in the local church, more biblically qualified elders who will shepherd the flock and produce fruit. Pray for that. We desire that. There's always a need, always a need. And let's remember that, that even though we pray for more harvesters to have a heart like Paul, it's God who desires when and how. We pray for it, and it will be God's providence when he brings them up, when he produces more fruit. There's always a need, though. We're always going to feel behind the curve sometimes in the church and in Christianity because the harvest is so great. Listen to what Jesus said, Luke 10 verse 2, he was saying to his disciples, and he was about to send out 70. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech, that's old King James, basically for a pray. Beseech, ask the Lord, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's all this fruit, all this wheat, you might say, out there. And the harvest is ripe. You just need more laborers. Now, it's all in God's providence. He'll, he'll bring them along when he is ready. But he wants to see that fruit reaped. You reap fruit picked. We'll say picked and you reap grain. He wants to see the fruit come in and he will see it come in eventually. The question is, are we going to play a part in that? Like recently, we had some missionaries in our home. They were passing through to visit another church this week. And they stayed a couple of days with us when we were talking. And they were just reminding us once again, it's the Dennis family who we now support as a church, and they were just reminding us how ripe the harvest is in Columbia. They're going to Cali, Colombia, and their church, there's already one guy down there who planted the church, and Michael's going down there to help. And I think he said they're already seeing like 200 almost people after nine months of planting a brand new church. People are just flocking in. They can't find a place that's big enough to meet. Everyone wants to come and hear the Bible preached. The harvest is right. And we need to pray for that. Prayers do indeed work. The great missionary Hudson Taylor often just relied on prayer to get more help. One time he was telling people, I need a hundred plus missionaries. I need a hundred missionaries to go with me, to go back. He was in England and he was raising support and he said, I need to go back to China. and I need a hundred missionaries to go with me because I can't do it all. And so he gets on the boat, he goes back, he arrives at Shanghai, and an elderly veteran missionary came up to him, and he said, I'm delighted to hear that you're praying for large reinforcements. You will not get a hundred, of course. You know, this guy's been around the block. He says, look, nobody wants to come to China. I'm thankful you prayed for that. You won't get a hundred, of course, within the year, but you may get many more than if you did not ask for them. So the idea was, hey, go ahead and pray. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything, but you're not going to actually get 100. So why are you telling people that you're praying for that? Here's what Hudson Taylor said. Thank you for your interest. We have the joy of knowing our prayers are answered now. I feel sure that if spared, you will share that joy by welcoming the last of the 100 to China. In other words, if you're even alive in a year from now, you'll see that my prayers will be answered. And he wasn't being prideful, he was just trusting in the Lord. By the year's end, he had 102 new missionaries sailing for China. Just exactly as he prayed, actually, God gave him two more than he prayed for. As he had predicted, the elder missionary who doubted that the full number requested would be supplied was there in Shanghai to greet the last of the 100. Prayer works. Let's pray for more men to be preachers, missionaries, and women who have a desire to reach other women, to reach children. There's a mission field everywhere we look. Secondly, pray for the church to have a desire to reach the lost. Paul had a great desire to reach the lost, and he describes that in verse 14. And we need to have this desire as well. Yeah, we need to pray for more workers, but we ourselves need to have the kind of desire that Paul has. We're not just sitting back praying for others to do it. We have to take a part in that. Now, roles will be different depending on how the scripture describes the different roles and offices even within the church. But there's a lot we can do on our own outside the church as well. Look at how Paul describes this. He says, I'm under obligation. His obligation is before the Lord to take the gospel to the world. God had called him to do that. Look at Romans 1 and verse 5. This is God's calling on his life, both calling to be saved and verse 1. Even in verse 1, he says called to be an apostle. But if we skip down to verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. That's Paul's mission. It was given to him by God. Acts nine fifteen. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. The church in Rome, they really wanted Paul to come. You can imagine that they prayed for him to come see them. This famous apostle of the Gentiles. He wanted to come and see them. He wanted to be there. But he's saying, look, my highest obligation is to the Lord. That's one of the reasons he's been hindered. He can't disobey the Lord in going to all of these other places to preach the gospel. He had other ministry requirements that he had to meet. His highest obligation is to God. Paul knew even that a pastor, and he was a pastor, must please the Lord first and foremost. That's key. The pastor needs to please the Lord first and foremost. He says in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. People wanted to pat him on the back, say, good job, you're the apostle Paul, that's a great sermon. He says, look, I have nothing to boast of, I'm just doing what God told me. That's all I'm under compulsion, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He's scared of God's judgment coming on him. If he doesn't do what God has told him to do, what God has obligated him to do. Paul now mentions a couple of different groupings of people that he's going to preach the gospel to. His mission in life, both to Greeks and to barbarians. The Greeks include Uh, these categories include the whole Gentile world. The Greeks are those who adopted the Greek culture and the Greek language. This would come to include Romans. So we often call it the Greco-Roman culture. Basically anybody in the Roman Empire who was educated and not a slave. I'm coming to preach the gospel to them. They're the elite of the day. The ones who had fine cultured tastes, the arts and entertainment and writings. And he says not just to them, but also to the barbarians. This word comes from a Greek word that sounded like the language of non-Greek speaking people. The Greeks thought everybody sounded like bar, 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 bar when they spoke. And so they said, those are barbarians, you know. They drink cow's milk. They grow beards barbarians, you know. And Paul says, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the people group, whether it's the elite of the day or whether it's these barbarians that are the uncultured tribes of people who could not speak Greek or Latin. Some barbarians lived inside the empire as slaves. They've been captured and war, and brought into the empire. There were many of those. But also Paul often went to the edges of the Roman Empire and preached like he did in Illyricum to the barbarian tribes there. And even in Spain, it's thought that at this time there were some barbarian tribes who had been conquered by the Roman Empire, but not fully yet been Latinized or, or taught Greek culture. So Paul says, I want to go there eventually to Spain as well. He'll say that by the end of the letter. Then he says, to the wise and to the foolish. Again, this is everybody. All of us fit in one of these categories. The wise or the foolish. The Greeks and the Romans are people who had been steeped in the philosophy of their day. They thought they knew all things. You know, we've heard this philosopher and Socrates and Plato. Aristotle said this. And we've got some guys today. You know, they had all their, their training like we often get in universities on how to think rightly according to the world's way of thinking. The wise people thought that They were very wise according to the world. And over in 1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? He's talking about these people who think they're wise. Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? People in the world think they're very wise. They don't need to hear the gospel. They've considered other alternatives. They've considered other thoughts, other holy writings out there. And Paul says, I'm going to preach to them and to the foolish. The foolish are the unintelligent, the foolish folk, the dull-witted, those who had no training in philosophy. They didn't have the training in, in the academies and universities. They didn't know about politics. They didn't know about Greek culture. They're foolish. Some of these would be slaves. Some slaves were very educated, others not so much. And some would just be the average poor person in Rome. Some of these folks would just be farmers working on somebody's estate. Paul is saying, no matter what, no matter if you have great understanding about the world or no understanding, no matter if you have an education or not, no matter if you speak modern day English or you're a tribe somewhere in the middle of nowhere, that's where the gospel is going to go out to, he says. Now, you didn't have English back then, but applying it to today for us, we we need to do like Paul did. We need to say, you know, my goal is not just to see Texans and Bernie and San Antonio converted. Everybody. Foolish or wise. Greek or barbarian. Not just your family. Not just people who visit your church. But everyone. As many as God has appointed to eternal life. That's our goal. We can't, we can't try to improve on what God has already done. With who he selected to be saved. But we can take the gospel. That's our command. That's what we're to do. We have to have a heart for the lost. And Paul had a desire to reach the lost. He, he saw this godly desire come to fruition. Later, he's a prisoner. He's taken to Rome. He writes four letters. One of those is Philippians. And at the end of Philippians, he talks about an interesting group of people. Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He also talks about the praetorian guard. Praetorian guard, the elite group that guarded the emperor are guarding Paul. He converted. God working through their hearts, of course. He saw the fruit. He saw the conversion of servants, slaves, and Caesar's household, and the Praetorian Guard. You can't get any closer than that to the emperor himself. Paul saw a lot of fruit in Rome, and he was bound in chains. He couldn't leave his house. We don't even have those limitations, do we? And Paul says, look, I'm under obligation to reach people, to reach lost people with the gospel. And we are too today. We're under the same obligation. We didn't have Christ show up and tell us, go and see these people and go here. But he did give a mission to the church, didn't he? He did give a mission to the church, go and make disciples, baptize them and train them up, teach them to obey all that Christ commanded. We must have a desire as a church To reach the lost. So much so that it's not just the pastor. The elders doing evangelism. But it's all the members. Whether it's a jail ministry that forms up. Or door-to-door ministry that forms up. Or a small group at UTSA. Or a college evangelistic ministry. Where people are talking to students. Along the sidewalks there. All kinds of different ways you can do this. But we've got to have the desire first. Otherwise you're just kind of doing it on the side, playing like you enjoy it, and eventually it doesn't go on. You stop doing it. We've got to be a church of evangelism. We've got to be a church that loves to take the gospel to the lost. What is evangelism? Well, it's not a method. That's the problem with modern Christianity is we think it's a method. We think it has to be done a certain way. It's the way that I first heard it, you know, different spiritual laws or books. That's not what evangelism is. It's simply the proclamation of the truth of the gospel message. It can happen in various ways. The focus is not on the how. So often in the Bible, it's not on the how. It's on the simple fact of doing it. Sometimes you get to decide how. Sometimes your church has already decided that. Sometimes your elders decide that. Sometimes it's just a conversation. But it's the proclamation of the truth of the gospel. And it's in a manner that declares that truth and offers salvation. And either the person will take it and reject it, or they will believe in Christ. If you wanted to really simplify it, as Spurgeon said, one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's all you're doing. You're hungry? Spiritually hungry? Let me show you. Let me show you where to get some bread. Come with me to this Bible study. Come with me to this church service. Let me talk to you about what I know. What happened in my life according to Scripture. It's not based on methods. Don't think it has to be done this way. That starts to trend towards legalism. People start saying, well, you're not proclaiming the gospel unless you do it this way, which is the way I learned from this guy. That's not... We don't even know how exactly Paul did it. He just proclaimed the gospel. John MacArthur says, the gospel is not a message that can be capsulized, abridged, shrink-wrapped, then offered as a generic remedy for every kind of sinners. Ignorant sinners need to be instructed about who he is, and why he is at the right hand of God. Self-righteous sinners need to have their sin exposed by the demands of the law. So that's that's a key part of evangelism. You need to talk about sin. Used to, when I was growing up, everybody understood they were a sinner. People would just skip right to who Christ was, who Christ is. Nowadays, you've got to start with God, creation, that man is a sinner. MacArthur goes on to say, that careless sinners need to be confronted with the reality of God's impending judgment. We're so scared to talk about sin and judgment sometimes. We've we got to do that when we're evangelizing. Careless sinners need to be confronted. He says, fearful sinners need to hear that God in his mercy has provided a way of deliverance. The form of the message will vary in each case. You meet somebody in the grocery store and they say, hey, what do you believe about this? That's going to be a lot different. Than if you're organizing a door to door ministry and talking to people, or maybe proclaiming or teaching the Bible. He says, but the content must always drive home the reality of God's holiness and the sinner's helpless condition. Then it points sinners to Christ as a sovereign but merciful Lord who has purchased full atonement for all who will turn to him in faith. The key of evangelism is the content of the gospel. You need to get that across. Doesn't matter if it's in an email doesn't matter if it's in a booklet you hand, a Bible study, a conversation. It's not about method. It is about the truth of the gospel. Thirdly, so we've already looked at, we need to pray to have more workers for the harvest. We need to pray to have a, a desire to see lost people saved. And number three, Paul teaches us here, we should pray for the church to always preach the gospel. Now this sounds simple. We've been talking about the gospel all this time. Of course, we want to continue proclaiming the gospel and the church. Unfortunately, the gospel has fallen out of favor in many churches. Unfortunately, the gospel is not preached in many churches in America and throughout the whole world. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. So for my part, I am eager. I'm eager. And this part, so for my part, if you read an older translation, it'll say, so as much as in me is. In other words, with with all that I am, with my whole heart, I'm so eager to come to Rome and preach the gospel. That's his desire. He's so desirous to do that. And he says, I want to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The word preach the gospel here, it's one word in Greek. Euangelizo, we get the word evangelism, evangel, evangelical. all of these words come from euangelizo in Greek. Paul has in mind here preaching the gospel. In this case, he's talking about coming and proclaiming God's word, proclaiming the good news. And he knows. He knows there's going to be trials. He knows there's going to be persecutions. He didn't know he was going to be arrested, but it wouldn't have shocked him too much. He knows that there will be persecution to preaching the gospel. Last night, we were at a um, Christmas party uh, up in my hometown about two hours away. And every year we go outside of where we're meeting and we look at this Christmas parade. And they've got all these vehicles going everywhere. And they're throwing candy out to the kids. I didn't even know they still could do that, right? And what do the kids do? They're sitting at the curb. Not just my kids, all the kids there, all the cousins, everything. What do they want to do? Run out and get the candy. What's the problem? Here comes a fire truck. Here comes a tractor. All right Here comes this Hummer. Here comes this people riding on longhorns with lights on the horns. That was really neat. I mean, that was probably the neatest thing in the in the parade. Those kids knew they had to get out there, get the candy, and get out of the way. Or something might hit them. And sometimes the parents were doing it instead of the kids. Well, Paul knew that he's going to get hit sometimes, even by what we would say a Mack truck, when he went out and preached the gospel. He's going to get thrown in chains. He's going to get arrested. He's going to get beaten. You can read all about that in 2 Corinthians, all that he went through to proclaim the gospel. And you know what he did? He got up the next day and did it again. And one day they tried to stone him to death, and he got up and just walked on and did it again. He knew that was coming. He still did it. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be mocked when you tell people the gospel. And when people know you come to a church and hear the gospel preached, sometimes they might laugh. Church is too serious. All you do is talk about the Bible. Need some stories. Well, I told a story just then. So, But we go to Scripture and get the gospel right there. Paul's going to do it from the pulpit to the unbelievers. Look at uh, Romans ten fourteen. How then will they call on Him and whom they have not believed? So he's going to go through this chain and we'll get there in Romans eventually, but I just want to show you how are they going to call on somebody they haven't believed in yet? And then he goes another step. How will they believe in Him who they've not heard? How can somebody believe in Christ? And I know it's popular these days that people have a dream and the next day they're a Christian, but the way it is in the Bible is somebody goes and tells them. They have to hear it. We could say read it today. And how will they hear without a preacher? So the preacher is preaching to unbelievers. The preacher is proclaiming. In fact, the old Puritan uh, Thomas Brooks said, the salvation of souls is that which should be first and most in a minister's eye and that which should always lie closest and warmest upon a minister's heart. Every preacher wants to see people converted. Even if we're preaching to a room 99% full of believers, you still want to see that 1% come to Christ. So he was going to preach to unbelievers. He was also going to preach to them. He was going to preach to them. Go to Romans 16, 25. Believers need to hear that gospel. Not just the basics of the gospel, but open it up. How does it apply to my life? Romans 16, 25. This is how he closes out the letter. Now to him who is able to establish you. That's built up. That's made strong. That's God doing it. He's going to establish you. How? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, and he goes into this closing prayer. How are we going to get built up in the faith? Through the gospel. Oh, you may repent and believe in Christ. Yes, every day. But also here's what Christ has to say about his gospel in the book of Romans and all these other letters in the New Testament. Paul says in Philippians 1.27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do you do that? How do you live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, you've got to know what the gospel is and you've got to dive back in every day. You've got to remind yourself of repentance, remind yourself of faith in Christ, even when times are hard, even when you don't know what to do, and go to God's word and continue learning and growing. That's how you live out a life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Living in sin is not living in a manner worthy of the gospel. We've got to know the gospel. We've got to hear it preached to us. We've got to read it. And we need to pray that this church would always proclaim the gospel from this pulpit, no matter who's in this pulpit. A guest speaker, one of the elders here. It doesn't matter. When someone's preaching, the truth of the gospel needs to go out. The truth of God's word. The preaching of Christ. We'll just close with 2 Timothy 4. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4. And I want you to see What Paul has to say, because the gospel is not always going to be popular. God's word is not going to be popular to people, even within the church. He said there's a time coming when people don't want to hear the preaching of the word. So in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. This is the most serious thing he can give to Timothy to do and of Christ Jesus. It's a double solemnly charge. God is watching you. Christ is watching you. And remember, Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom. It's all that Paul could say to make sure you better do this, Timothy. You better do this. Preach the word. Now, he could focus on a lot of things in ministry that would be good and godly. But he says the most important thing is that you preach the word. Now, we know that over in Romans, he says, I'm going to preach the gospel. What is that? It's the word. The good news is all throughout the Bible. Preach the word. Proclaim it out loud. Proclaim the word of God. State what the Bible says. And he says, do that in season and out of season. Be ready to preach in season and out of season. Now we seem to be in a really out of season time in our world today, in Christianity today. It seems like the word is out of season to be preached. The gospel is not well liked. Paul says, that day is coming when they don't want to hear the gospel. And you need to be ready, even if it's out of season. And here's what happens in the preaching. You're going to reprove. You're going to correct people. You're going to rebuke them. Rebuke false teaching. Tell them to stop doing that. Stop believing that. Stop living like that. And you're going to exhort them. Come alongside them. Sometimes in a word of encouragement and sometimes in a word of correction. In season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And then he says, do it with great patience and instruction. With great patience and instruction. Don't be a legalist. Don't assume everyone's going to be sanctified tomorrow. Don't assume everybody's moving at the same rate. Be patient over a long period of time. A ministry is about a long period of obeying God through preaching the word of God in the church. The gospel is important. We need to pray for these things. We need to pray for these things. The gospel was Jesus's message. It was there in the Old Testament in some form, but he made it clear. His apostles make it clear. It's the center of the life of the church. The gospel is the distinguishing mark of the true church. You shouldn't even stay in a church that preaches a false gospel. You should leave that church as quickly as you came in. I've gotten up in churches before and left that we were visiting. It's okay to do that if they're preaching a false gospel. They don't want to make a scene or anything, but slip out the back. The church has got to guard the gospel. It's the key element of the church's standard doctrine. It's the foundation of our exaltation, of our worship. Without a gospel, what are we doing? We're just having a social club with a name on it. No, we've got got to have the gospel. If you're hearing this this morning, and maybe you don't know what the gospel is, or maybe you're among us this morning, and you know the gospel, but you haven't put your faith in Christ. You need to do that now. Christ is coming back. At any moment, Christ is coming back. At any moment... Your life could be snuffed out. Do you believe in Jesus Christ today as your Savior? I'm not talking about the false gospels that are out there. The true gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. I've repented from my sins. I admit, God, that I cannot save myself. Have you done that? Has there been a point in your life? Maybe you were younger and you can't remember it. But if you don't know that you're saved today, put your faith in Christ. Children, put your faith in Christ. Why grow up and live a life of ungodliness and wait till maybe some point later God might save you? You're hearing the truth every week if you're coming to this church of God's word, of the gospel. Put your faith in Christ. Honor your parents now. Let them rejoice at your baptism. Believers, if you're here today, you hear this message. Let's treasure the gospel and let's pray for the church. We need to pray for the church for many reasons. But let's pray that we are proclaiming the gospel as Paul did. We're not apostles, but we can do the mission that God has given us to do. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. You can go out and do this as a church, he says, because I'll be with you. So let's conclude and ask God right now, pray for him to help us do that. Lord, we thank you and we're so gracious for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without him, without the good news. We would be lost. But you have chosen to save us. We're now your ambassadors. We have different giftings, different skill sets, different abilities, different groups of people that we know. But ultimately, the mission is one. Tell people about Jesus Christ. That's in the church. That's outside the church. We need to tell people about Jesus. What he's done. How we can be saved. Let us go to our family members and tell them, Lord, this holiday season of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us tell them. We don't want to think of them burning in hell forever and ever. Let us go to them and remind them once again of the true gospel. And help us to be a church that we want to send out groups from here to evangelize. We want to do that individually. And we want to see missionaries raised up that will go into all the world and proclaim that gospel, the truth. Be with us, Lord, as we do this as we seek to obey your will. In your son's name, amen.